I hope this doesn't sound rude. I'm just reconfirming you are Ariel from Malice, yes? That's right, yes. Do you prefer Ariel or Ariel? It's Ariel. Ariel. Mm-hmm. Just gotcha. like the little mermaid. Just like the little mermaid. Perfect. Hello and welcome to the Distump Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Miles Trout, and this is the show where we watch movies, play games, or listen to music in an effort to decide, are we going to keep the disc or are we going to dump it? Today, I'm joined by Ariel from the Malice Podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, Miles. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for coming on. It's nice to meet you. This is very exciting. I know. We've been, we've been in the same community for a while and just sort of been like ships in the night. Exactly. Yes. So I'm glad to finally have you on here. And uh, today we are talking about the movie Blow starring Johnny Depp and Penelope Cruz. But first, Mm -hmm. a brief history. Blow is the 2001 biopic about George Young. George Young is played by Johnny Depp, and he is one of the greatest drug smugglers in history. I shouldn't say greatest, most successful. That's probably the best way to put it. He smuggled tons and tons and tons of marijuana and cocaine all over the United States of America. And this movie is about his life. He goes to jail, gets out of jail, goes to jail, gets out of jail, loved ones die, people get shot. And uh, he eventually meets Pablo Escobar. So this movie definitely gets into the cartels of Medellin in Colombia. And it is a super exciting biopic. Very fast paced. And I think if you haven't seen it, you're doing yourself a disservice by listening to this podcast first. Put everything down and go watch Blow. So, uh, okay, confession. This is only the second time I've seen this movie. Really? Yeah. Have you like watched this movie religiously at any point in your life or anything I, like that? Yeah, it's actually one that I've seen many, many times over the years. Um, I needed a refresher, so I decided I would watch it again today. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's going to be fun to talk about this for sure. Awesome. I was like, I know some of the like background real life stuff, but the actual movie I'm not the most familiar with. I just finished watching it. So like, I know a little bit, like I know the plot of the movie and I picked up on some stuff, but um, I guess what is, has your experience been with this movie thus far? You said you've watched it a whole bunch of times. Is there like a period in your life where cocaine was particularly interesting to you or Johnny Depp? No, on both, actually. Um, yeah, like, I, I think Johnny Depp is is a good actor. Um, I think he's better in some roles than others. Um, you know, but that's that's the same for most people. Um, as for cocaine, yeah, I've, I've never been into drugs. Um, and that actually, weirdly enough, surprises people a lot of times about <laughs> me. 
<laughs> but it's just never been my thing. I mean, like when you when you kind of pick your poison, like everybody's got their thing, you know what I mean? Their vices. That just was never one of mine. I mean, I dabbled here and there and stuff, never did coke, never did anything really hard. It was always just like, yeah, okay, sure, I'll try some shrooms. That yeah. was the one and only time. Um <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm kind of boring on that front. Maybe I live vicariously through the movie. I think that's the point of movies like this is you don't have the thrill of being a tremendous uh, cocaine drug smuggler, but it is fun to feel like it for two hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I never tried coke either, and I'm not like upset about that at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like, I've definitely smoked pot in the past and things like mm-hmm. that. But this movie, like. When you sit down to watch this movie, it just sucks you in. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from the jump, I mean, you, George Young is such an anti-hero, you know what I mean? But you find yourself pulling for him so much in this movie. Like, you want him, you want him to be successful and you want him to do the right fucking things. And right? he just does it for most of the movie. <laughs> It's like every time he has something going for him, he fucks it up. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really just the the whole case there is is insanity. You know, looking at the real life George Young, and they did stick very close to the details of what actually happened with him. So, um, yeah, it's just a roller coaster. It really is, and I, I don't know my. My heart knew that you were going to know more about the real life shit than I did. <laughs> but my brain was like, you know, I, I used to really look into stuff like this. But you're into like the true crime and all that, like uh-huh. seriously into the true crime. So, yeah, of course, you would know a lot about this. Um, talk about Tell me about it. What What do you know that I don't know? I'm sure it's a lot. Um, I mean, like I said, it sticks pretty closely to the actual um, his actual life as he has you know, talked about it. And as the case files show, I mean, I don't know that there's a ton to tell about it. Most of the true crime I deal with, um, comes down to violent offenses. And, you know, aside from a few, you know, domestic incidents, um, there really wasn't much of that. And from all accounts, it was mostly Martha who, um, was the more violent of the two, though people were more inclined at that point in time to think that it was men. Um, which hasn't changed, but, um, you know, it was really interesting. She was a very volatile person. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, Penelope Cruz played that very well. Um, but it's, hmm, I don't know. I, it's just, it's just one of those really fascinating things. And I've actually done a lot more, um, looking into like Pablo Escobar than I did, you know, George Young. Um, you know, so um, his his history is really fascinating too. So if you ever do a yeah. movie about him, I'd love to come on and talk about that. So <laughs> hell yeah, I uh, this is actually where I first heard about Pablo Escobar because like when I saw this movie, other movies that were like popular at the time were like Cocaine Cowboys, and like there was just this big burst on Netflix mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. just like here's a whole bunch of cocaine shit. So I was like, well, I guess I'm a, a cocaine fanatic now and I just like watched all of it. <laughs> Even though I've never done any cocaine in my life, I just made a point to watch all that shit. But this movie was where I learned about Pablo Escobar and then we ended mm-hmm. up I ended up in uh oh, what's the TV show that is all about him? Oh, uh, uh, uh Narco? 
Narcos. Narcos. Yes, Narcos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that show was pretty crazy too. I really enjoyed that. Now there's like yeah. four branch offs and stuff, but yeah. Did you did you yeah. watch Narcos? I did. Yeah. I mean, it's God, just that whole empire that he had and he's he's so controversial because in some ways we look at him as you know, I mean, and they show it in Blow, like the fact that he's like, oh, yeah, it's whatever. He was so nonchalant about just bringing about the deaths of people. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, cocaine was not like a great thing to be trafficking. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also led to a whole lot of deaths, you know. So in a lot of ways, you can look at it and go, God, this guy was horrific. You know, he really was, you know, El Padron, he was, the, you know, the father of the whole thing. Um, at the same time. He put so much of his money into Medellin and, you know, Colombia in general to help the poor, you know. So in some ways, he's considered a folk hero to people there, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, like for love of country, he as many awful things as he did. He was just like, well, this is where I'm from. So everybody here should benefit from me. And he was like definitely the richest man in the world for a stretch of time he like, really was yes the scene in this movie blow where like their entire apartment is just stacked floor to ceiling with money that scene was so crazy like the just how profitable this is was wild and like i kind of want to learn more about Wee herman's character in this movie oh derek for real what a great character he was he's fantastic yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul Rubens is, is I mean, everybody thinks of him as, like, this sleazy guy who played Pee Wee Herman. But the fact is, here, okay, hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I personally love Paul Rubens, and I think he's a fantastic actor. And the whole thing about, like, him jacking off at a cinema, look, guys, it's not like he was there to see Toy Story, all right? He was in yeah. an adult, <laughs> an adult venue <laughs> to watch very adult sexually themed movies that's right pornography so yeah. the fact that he was whacking it there was it kosher not really but it's not as bad as it sounds I, <laughs> you know i i don't understand why it's a problem if you're in that kind of a place like everyone is sitting there just like loading up their spank bank so if <laughs> if that's the point of it what is like why would he get in trouble for that anyway so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, there's a part of me that's like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the situation was. I mean, now, of course, you can get Pornhub or whatever. You can hop on the internet and find literally anything you want, whether you're into, you know, whatever, um, um, anal play or scatological stuff or whatever, <laughs> whatever you're into, you can find it. And, um, you know, but at the time, I guess they did have to go to movie theater sometimes if they just wanted to view it, didn't have, didn't want to have it in their houses you know, or you had to just go and buy it like at Blockbuster for nudie pics, you know? <laughs> so. I mean, he was rolling in that Pee Wee Herman money at the time. So right. it's not like he couldn't afford to buy some, but still like, I love Paul Rubens too. He's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like the movie and shit, like uh -huh. everything I've ever seen him in. I'm like, this man is fantastic. He so. is. I totally I mean, forgot he was in this movie, and I was so excited when I was like, oh, Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think I think the biggest part of the scandal was that he had created this beloved children's host. You know what I mean? And we don't want to think about, you know, the dude in the Barney suit 
I don't know, um, you know, flashing people in public or something, you know, it's, it's just like the disconnect there, you know, it's, it is what it is. I, he jacked off to a porno. I, how many people have done that? Yeah, there are certainly <laughs> worse crimes for sure. <laughs> so this dude starts off trafficking marijuana and is already making an insane amount of money doing that. And like getting busted with 660 pounds of marijuana is a, a substantial sum of marijuana. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I, this is where I, I'm like, he should have just quit right there. You know, like there's so many moments in this movie where it's like, you should have stopped there. That was a good spot to stop. Right. And he just doesn't. It's like this weird greed overtakes drug dealers and turns them into people like Pablo Escobar. Right. Right. You know, and it is unfortunate because he had all these things that were going right in his life. And, you know, to to some extent, yeah, I mean, he was a hell of an entrepreneur. He he could look at these things and say, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this successfully? How can we grow this? We can make this much more money. Look, what's good for me is good for everybody. Let's make this happen. You know, um, if he had done this in any other kind of role, he probably would have ended up being a CEO of a, you know, Fortune 500 company. He was a brilliant guy. Um, You know, unfortunately, that's not the route he took. And then, of course, he gets sentenced. And, um, you know, he's like two years, you know, and Barbie, you know. Yeah. So I was like thinking about the movie overall now. It's like he had three good relationships in his whole life. With his dad, mm. his daughter, and Barbie. And Barbie had to go and just die. Like, it would have right. been a, such a different story if she had, like, survived cancer and stuff. But that was sad. I almost cried. I was like, oh, my heart. I know. It, oh, God. The very first time I watched it, I remember, you know, her nose started bleeding. And I was like, ooh, is that from the cocaine? You know? Yeah, me too. But then, but... then I was like, wait a minute. No, they're just smoking pot at this point. That's not, you know, I just know that people can get nosebleeds from cocaine. So I was like, wait, are they doing harder stuff? And then, of course, when it came out that it was cancer, it was like, oh. (laughs) It was so sad. And then he, like, skipped. He left to, like, go to the funeral and stuff. Like, he he had no regard for going to jail then. And that I kind of understood. That was, like, compelling that he was doing Mm -hmm. it for love. But then every time Mm -hmm. after that, I'm like, dude, you're such a douchebag. (laughs) Why are you, like, leaving parole again? (laughs) So (laughs) I was actually just looking into it. He got arrested. Like, he got out in 2014 and then got arrested again in 2016 for skipping parole. Like... He he literally got arrested when he was on stage doing a speech about like his life, and it's just wild to me that he would be a public figure and just be like, "Well, don't worry about me, police. I'll just be over here." Like, <laughs> there's <laughs> something missing here in his brain. <laughs> I mean, he, to some extent, you have to think that he had some kind of narcissistic quality. I don't think it was necessarily like on my show. I talk about personality disorders and and things. I don't think that he had a personality disorder, but I do think he was a narcissist in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he was one of those people that the more he got away with, the more he felt invincible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Power hungry. Yeah. And like, I don't know, the the trying to analyze his character is difficult because you're also just kind of analyzing Johnny Depp's character because he only plays a couple characters total and he just reenact mm-hmm. them in every movie. But like <laughs> look, 
he just it's i don't know he seems like he's naturally a good dude but he could that could also just be because i think johnny depp is inherently a good dude mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of hard to tell but i know your show is all about like digging into the dark side of humanity and what makes a person a terrible person and stuff mm-hmm. do you think just inherently he's a bad person or a good person or somewhere in between uh george young yeah yeah um i i think that things if things had happened differently i think that I think he was a mostly good guy. I really do. Um, you know, the the role model in his father, I mean, Ray Liotta, oh my God, I just he love killed him. killed it. Oh, man. Um, but his that character broke my heart, I think, more than anybody else in this movie. But his dad was just such a, he was dad goals. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he loved his son no matter what. And he was going to take care of his son no matter what. And, you know, he was the kind of dad, though, that would say, I don't agree with this. It's not what I would have chosen for you, but I love you. And as long as you're happy, you know, that's the kind of role model that you'd need. However, seeing his dad beaten down over and over and over again for not making enough money, you know, I mean, I think that set some things in his mind very early that if he was going to have successful relationships, if he was going to find a loving partner he was going to have to fork over some cash, you know? Yeah. And that's why I feel like that's why it's always like big deals with him. There's no, like I work nine to five. It's all like, okay, give me as much opportunity at one time as possible. And I will make my life into something I never used to be able to have. And that is definitely a compelling thing for sure. I myself am too into security and like having insurance and stuff, but like, (laughs) I kind of understand his urges though. Like that's just more money, more money is kind of the name of capitalism. You just got to keep on earning until you're on top and most people don't end up on top. So it is anybody who can get there. Like, uh, George Young did is wild to me. Like, having to make some bold moves. I loved his little mantra. He just goes, fuck it. And then he just does stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That was, I think that was where I first heard that phrase. Actually, when I first heard that when uh, when I first watched that movie, just fuck it, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) that and, and Bill O'Reilly losing his shit in that early thing. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck it. We'll do it live. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The, the scene where he's about to go, he just watched Pablo Escobar blow some dude's brains out. And now he has to go and hang out with him. Like he's just like, Oh, come on. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Fuck it. And then he just like completely changes into a different person. And like, I like performing on stage and stuff. Like I, I I don't want to say I do comedy. I definitely, I had several speech classes in which I used with my captive audience to make them laugh. So I like, that's like my favorite shit in the universe. And so like, whenever I'm like working my way up to it though, my heart is like pounding and I'm sweating and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I just basically say, fuck it. And I just turn it on and I'm able to like be a totally different person. And uh, yeah, I really thoroughly enjoy that feeling. So I can't help but wonder if like that gave him like a massive, massive high to be like, I just performed and not only didn't die, but I saved this asshole's life over here. (laughs) Like, right. You know, and I do think there is an element with him of thrill seeking, right? Um, you know, 
it's it's funny because there's there's a concept in in psychology. Most of us have heard of it. It's called operant conditioning, and that's like the Pavlov's dogs thing, right? He would ring a little bell and then feed the dogs, and so anytime he would ring a bell, the dogs got used to it to being fed then, and so they would salivate when he'd ring a bell, whether there was food or not. Well, there's also a phenomenon called reverse operant conditioning, which is pretty strange, but like, for instance, the first time you ride a roller coaster, you feel like maybe you're going to die, right? This is like the scariest shit in the world. But then you get to the end and you didn't die and you realize that was kind of a rush. And so then you ride, you ride it again because you're like, well, I know I'm not going to die, but it's still fucking scary. And after time, it builds this up as something that releases these really good feel-good hormones and things. So you've got um, serotonin through the roof. You've got dopamine flying. You've got, you know what I mean? Like, so the rush of something dangerous actually makes you feel really good. And I think that's one of the things with him. You said, you know, he was always just, everything had to be huge. And we just see continually up the ante, up the ante, up the ante over and over again. Everything from his drug deals to, you know, basically stealing one of the cartel's fiancés. When Yeah, that was a move. <laughs> oh, boy, that was a move. <laughs> and honestly, if he hadn't been Pablo's guy, he would have been killed. Pretty sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> and then that oh. turned out to be a pretty poor investment. <laughs> she, she was a monster. She thought so too and and one of those things that kind of amazes me is like i heard it a lot more earlier in my life from from dudes who would be talking about particular women actresses people at school whatever who were like she's crazy but i mean you get to a, a point where somebody's so hot that it doesn't matter and i'm always <laughs> like um <laughs> i don't know about that because <laughs> when she goes when she just loses her shit in the car uh, yeah, when they're driving, the cops cute. are behind them. And I was like, no, Ooh. there's no, you can find a cute, normal girl. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was wild. And she dropped to like 80 pounds for this movie and like got a full blown yeah. cocaine addiction and shit. She's a yeah. great actress. Also terrifying human, but great actress. <laughs> Anyone who's willing to be like, you know what? I'll do some cocaine for a while. Like, oh, there's something wrong with your brain, I think. So. I mean, method actors, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was uh, there was one, I don't recommend anybody watch it. Um, it's a very, very good film, but it's also horrible and not even close to the horrible things that happened in the true case. Um, but Ellen Page in An American Crime plays a an abused child and um 16 year old and they became concerned about her while she was filming this because she lost so much weight and they were like have you been eating and she was like well sylvia wasn't eating and that was part of the method was that she was going to put herself through that and she got down to skin and bones for this movie it was really like shocking to see her um but yeah i just the the whole like method acting thing is nuts to me like i wouldn't be like yeah let's develop a a cocaine addiction for this that sounds like fun yeah (laughs) and like christian bale and the machinist and then in that other movie where he got super fat for the role and stuff like i mean i feel like if that's all you do for a living though is like i have to look a certain way i guess you're willing to go as far as you need to go but like yeah 
that's not healthy. Like I, I would never be able to do that. I want to do that just in my regular life, and I can't do that. So, <laughs> we'll not do cocaine, but lose weight like that. But yeah, like it's crazy. Yeah, I that mean, they the can cocaine do that. diet will kick kickstart that. <laughs> I don't know where you get cocaine in Pennsylvania, though. <laughs> I guess Philadelphia. I, I don't know. I don't know where you get cocaine. Period. <laughs> that's also true. I mean, I feel like in Colombia it would be pretty easy to come by, but that's Probably. about the only place. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the the things that Co- that Colombia has a lot of, I think, and I'm sure that it's a lovely country. I know they have a lot of problems there, and it's not an easy place to live for many people. But the two things that they seem to have a whole lot of is uh, cocaine and hippos. So hippos, hippos. Yeah, that's also connected to the story. Actually. Well, you can't just say that and not explain it. There are hippos in this story. All right. All right. So Pablo Escobar, one of the things that was really important to him, like I said, was the community. And so he put together basically a free zoo for everybody to come and see these exotic animals. And it was his own like private menagerie, but he would let people come in and see. Well, when he was busted and everything kind of fell to shit, they were able to find homes for all of these different animals. Unfortunately, the hippos had busted out of their enclosure before they came to collect the other animals. And so they having no um, natural predators in Colombia, they just started reproducing a lot. (laughs) uh, So it's been going on now for, God, about 40 years, I believe, that these hippos have just been reproducing and reproducing and reproducing um they can carry like each cow can carry uh one calf per year uh typically and uh so you've got think about that you started out with two males and two cows and then you end up with two babies the next year let's say one's a, a male one's a cow all three of the cows then the following year have a baby so that's, you know what I mean? It oh, just exponentially yeah. grows and grows and grows and grows. And it's gotten to the point, like, people in Colombia, because they had no idea about these animals and what they were like, um, it's astounding that to this day, there's never been a death involving a hippo. Of really? A human being. There's not been. Yeah. And that's I don't know crazy. if it's just that the hippos are so used to seeing the people and have never been harmed by them or what. But like people have gone down there and just like found baby hippos and like taken them home and stuff. And <laughs> it's, I mean, you want to piss off a hippo. That's a yeah, really. good way to do it. But yeah, they just have like a complete issue with it at this point because they can't remove all of these hippos and send them somewhere else because they've been so deeply inbred at this point in time that they don't know what kind of diseases they've picked up being in Colombia. They don't know what kind of genetic deformities or mouth, um, you know, they, issues that they'd have by introducing them to an actual herd of hippos somewhere. So it's just a big conundrum at this point. That's <laughs> wild. Colombian hippos. hippos. It's like they're evolving to be their own <laughs> kind of hippos. That's wild. I know. They say that, like, other than mosquitoes, hippos cause more deaths in Africa than any other animal. So it's wild to me that they aren't just, like, murdering people like crazy in Colombia. Maybe the secret to a happy hippo is cocaine. It could be. It could be. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't do much for those boars this year, though. (laughs) I don't know anything about that. Drop some more zoology on me. This is fun. Oh, 
boy. Um, yeah, earlier this year, uh, <clears throat> some uh, feral feral hogs got into um, someone's stash of cocaine. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and they just went on a fucking rampage. <laughs> It was amazing. Oh <laughs> wait, I think I think I do remember that now. I think I saw it as a meme, one of those like end of the world memes. It's like who was betting on cocaine? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean it sounds like something out of a sci-fi comedy maybe, but nope, it really yeah. happened. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those animal stories you just told were wild. <laughs> Oh, I got stories for you all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's why you got a podcast, huh? <laughs> I, I collect bizarre knowledge is all I can tell you. It's like the weirder, the more rabbit holes I will go down and the more I will try to learn about it. So, yeah, it is kind of fun, though, when I bring up, you know, when somebody brings up Pablo Escobar, which, I mean, it comes up here and there, especially now that Narcos is on, um, you know, <laughs> just bringing up the hippos is just one of those things like, the fuck did you hear that? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how does this lady know so much about hippos? But I wasn't complaining. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I'm learning something here. <laughs> um, well, this seems like probably a pretty good point for us to take a brief break. And uh, you guys can hear some ads from me and all that good stuff. Some recommendations and so on and so forth. And we will be right back. This episode is presented by Wild CBD. Wild produces the best tasting edibles on the market using real fruits and all natural flavoring. With flavors inspired by the Pacific Northwest, high quality ingredients, real fruit, and consistent dosing, Wild has become one of the leading cannabis edible producers in the country. Wild's new CBD line currently offers fruit-infused gummies in blackberry, huckleberry, lemon, and raspberry, and CBD-infused sparkling water in raspberry, lemon, blackberry, and blood orange. Each gummy is dosed with 25 milligrams of CBD and can be purchased in a bottle of 10 or 20. Wild CBD is offering my listeners 30% off their next purchase from wildcbd.com by using the code POD. That's the code Pod, P-O-D, for 30% off your next purchase. Wild CBD products are intended only for use by individuals aged 18 and older. Wild CBD products should only be consumed as directed on the label and should not be used if you are pregnant or breastfeeding. All wild CBD products are made with ingredients containing 0% THC. Consult with a healthcare professional prior to using wild CBD in combination with any other medications or dietary supplements. That's WildCBD, W-Y-L-D, CBD. Use the code POD for 30% off your next purchase. Starwipe Transition! Blinded by the light, strung up like a deuce into the middle of the night. Oh, I love that song and I love this movie. It's the only song I know for sure is about cocaine, so that's very exciting. Um, I have a couple of things that I want to let you guys know about and some fan shout outs and so forth. So if you want to email me, you can email me discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D I S C D U M P P O D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little pee pee in there. It's important on Twitter. 
I'm at the disc dump. Probably gonna change that soon, someday. So on Twitter, I'm at the disc dump. On Instagram, disc dump podcast. Again, there's two P's in there, so don't forget that. On Facebook, of course, there's the page, and then there's also the disc dump podcast fans group and that's a great place to see memes and whatnot i'm also putting more trailers and silly pictures i make and so forth in there so that's that's gonna be more fun i put a lot of promotional stuff on instagram and twitter is just all about networking so you can see all the people i'm friends with on there and uh it's a really good time if you post something about my show there's a 100 percent guarantee that i'm gonna retweet it even if it's bad so yeah check me out on all the platforms there's a very important fan shout out I have to do for Mr. Melvin Jones because he is the reason I even know what this movie is and he's been asking me to do episodes for things that he's seen and participated in so I know for a fact he likes this movie a lot and I'm glad that he can uh you got something to listen to there Melvin thank you for listening um so and then speaking of listening there's a couple of podcasts I want to promote first and foremost Malice Podcast Thank you so much, Ariel, for joining me on this. Uh, Your show is all about murder and awful things happening to good people. And it's a really good show, though. Like, everyone should check it out. I give it a really good endorsement at the end of this episode. So check out the Malice Podcast. I would also like you guys to check out Let's Start a Cult. Josh is the guy in charge of Let's Start a Cult. And he does a lot of research into cults and how terrifying they are. And as he goes through all this information, he has friends on who are usually pretty funny. And they're Canadians, so they're very polite people. I enjoy this show a whole lot. They're in the fledgling year, very early year of this podcast. So definitely check out Let's Start a Cult. It's a really good time. I would be remiss not to mention Bravo for the B-Side. I love that show, and uh, Jim and Danny are some of my best podcast pals. I enjoy their show so much, and uh, they often talk about me, which I find very flattering. And their show is they like break down B-movies beat for beat, and they have a lot of insight in the filmmaking process. So that's kind of what it's all about. And uh, yeah, it's if you like silly movies and you sometimes very serious movies, usually horror movies, this is the program to check out. Bravo for the B-side. And last but not least, I would love to give a shout out to the Cold Callers Comedy Podcast. I love these dudes. They are very funny. They are some some British people. I know. Don't let that deter you. Just kidding. Uh, They have a comedy podcast that they do where it comes out every Monday. I never miss an episode. They have really funny skits. And sometimes their ladies are on there, but I think that might have only happened once. But still, a lot of good episodes. These guys are putting out tons of content, and they have got the social media marketing thing on lock. I've learned a lot from them. So I owe a big thank you to them, and I think you should all check out the Cold Collars Comedy Podcast. Okay, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Let's get back to it. So, yeah, we, uh, we, there's a character that I really want to pick your brain about because I know you're all about psychology and terrible, monstrous humans. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about Diego. That dude mm-hmm. is crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, um, he was extremely convincing. He was just always so wet when he was on cocaine, just all the mm-hmm. time sweating. And, yeah, he, like, I could have sworn after the first time I watched it that, like, they kill him at the end of the movie but they super didn't he just like rose to power 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, in looking at his character, it, it's this really strange thing because the very first introduction we get to him is him trying to make friends with George and saying like, we're soulmates, you know, we gotta be, if we're going to be friends, we have to tell each other everything, you know? And George of course starts out from the jump being like, mm, I'm in for murder, you know? So he kind of, despite always being loyal to Diego, he really keeps him at an arm's length. And to me, it's just, he, it's, it was very smart on George's part. And I think he understood the business side of things um, to an extent that a lot of the others didn't. And um, from, you know, his perspective, you know, keeping his connection a secret was the only way he was going to keep the position he had. And he knew that, you know, and even though, you know, Diego was his partner, what did Diego do the second he found out his connection? He went and he fucked him, you know, I mean, cut him out. And that's, um, you know, that's exactly what George had expected. That's why he didn't tell him that whole time. Um, And I think he finally had just had it with the whole situation, you know, and having been shot, yeah that was wild he was like everything's okay i'm fine have a nice day gentlemen like that's he was that was so crazy that he like i feel like it wasn't so much that he felt motivated to tell diego about Derek at the moment as much as it was motivation for him to like sign his own like get out of the business card right there I, i feel like to some degree he knew like okay i fucked up i just got shot I got to get out of here. And he just like ruined it for himself, whether consciously or subconsciously. Mm, I mean, it could have been, you know, um, I think to some extent he just wanted the fuck away from Diego. Yeah. That's you know what I mean? <laughs> I totally get that. That guy, they, he had zero regard for right place, right time. He was, no. he was ready to die over that name. And then no, of course, yeah, it all went out poorly after that. <clears throat> Well, I think, you know, one of the things that you were talking about, you know, he was so wet every time that you saw him. It was like the further he got into this business. I mean, one of the things that people always say when you get into the drug business, you don't do the drugs. You don't do the product. Yeah, don't get high on your own supply. I mean, you don't know how it's going to affect you compared to other people. Like George, it feels like probably partied. You know what I mean? But like he kept his wits about him for the most part, you know what I mean? Whereas Martha and Diego couldn't do it. You know what I mean? They were always on it. They were always fucking, you know, amped up and, and not quite in the right minds. And so, you know, when, when you see Diego in these situations, he's not rational at all. No. I mean, you get to the point at the end, the last time we see him when, you know, George goes to confront him. He looks like a fucking mess. He looks worse than he has throughout the entire movie. Yeah. That's like the peak of his addiction and falling apart. Mm -hmm. At the same time though, that's like the height of his powers when he's falling apart the most. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, to some extent, I think it's because, you know, his dream didn't involve people. It involved this empire. And, um, you know, human beings are social creatures. We need to feel belonging. We need to feel affection. 
And he didn't have a way to do that at all. He could not form, you know, functional relationships with people. And, um, you know, I think by that time too, he let the cocaine run his life. You know, the fact that he looked like he was half crying and half laughing all the time during that scene was really disturbing to me. Yeah, that monologue was like it was a little twirly mustache. He was like, I did betray you. Yes. But other than that, like he's a really good actor. And I was looking his uh, IMDb up a little bit and he is most known for being a cocaine drug dealer in every movie he's in. So <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah, he, oh, what is his name? actor i'm real bad with names i can't remember uh let's see blow cast blow cast that should be a weather app yeah <laughs> <laughs> jordi moya jordi moya uh-huh do you speak um, spanish because you put a little flair on it when you're saying people's names oh um i just i try really hard to pronounce people's names the way that they would in, if they're um, if they have a different nationality or speak um, a different language as their primary or um, first learned language, so um, you know you're you wouldn't go to to Colombia and talk like George Young, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to go Pablo Escobar, you know? It's <laughs> Pablo Escobar, you know. So anyway, you're um, really good at that. I'm not good at that at all. Thank you. Thank you. I don't, I actually don't speak Spanish at all, but it's just one of those things. It's like when somebody introduces themselves, I had a a professor at one point, his last name was Yang, Y-A-N-G. Everyone called him Yang, everyone. And it was like, how hard is it? It's four letters. Like, (laughs) can you not just say Yang? You know, Hmm. (laughs) that's how he pronounced it. I definitely would have been a Yang guy. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, you know, again, it's just one of those things where it's like, if somebody pronounces their name this way, you know, Javier Bardem, you know, like wh- what, you know, Javier yeah. Bardem, you know, it's just not, <laughs> I just, it's like when somebody, I introduce myself and I say, hi, I'm Ariel. And somebody's like, oh, hello, Ariel. And it's like, that's not my fucking name. Um, I am so glad I asked at the beginning. I'm so glad now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't mind if people ask, you know what I mean? Because you never know. But uh, yeah, like. (laughs) Yeah, I I used to know a girl that went by Ariel and she spelled it the same way as yours. But she was like, you need to put put some Caucasian in there. Ariel. Like that's (laughs) Ariel. Hmm. Yes. You're Ariel. Just Ariel. Mm -hmm. I I say it like Ariel the Little Mermaid, not like Sebastian in Ariel the Little Mermaid. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess that's that's a good point. (laughs) Ariel. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Not the right one. Nope. So, (laughs) well, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about is um, I liked the little pieces that you'd see of of background that was going on throughout this whole thing that kind of set the stage, even if you're picking it up like subconsciously, Um, like you got the idea, even when you see Derek for and George standing in the doorway um, during his birthday party and you hear Martha and it's, you almost immediately know, like 
bitch just pulled out some cocaine. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, just, you just know, you know, and, and just seeing all these people partying and whatever. I mean, it's, um, but one of the things you see is Diego looking out the window as George is being let out. Um, and then he's beat up. Um, yeah. And that scene bothered me because it looked so choreographed. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that that was definitely they learned it on the spot <laughs> choreography. Right. I mean, the punch that didn't land, the like the, throwing the, him like, into a tree and yeah. Guys, 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 can we take like 2 seconds and and revamp some things so that you know, it maybe looks like he's actually being brutalized because this yeah. is not doing it for me. You know, even block out most of seeing him so it can look more brutal from the outside, you know? Yeah, and like, I think that's actually something that this movie might have done well is that they didn't make it about the violence, but the violence punctuated all of like the most dramatic events. Like, if people mm-hmm. were getting shot in the head the whole movie, Pablo Escobar's scene wouldn't have been so surprising and jarring. Like, oh shit, right. this dude just like iced that guy. So I think right. that the the lack of violence actually adds to this movie. But when they do put violence in it, they should go out out like they did when Pablo Escobar shot that dude. Like when right. they're fighting, they should do it right. But right, absolutely agree. Um, you know, and I I agree with you though that that you know, not being gratuitously violent was a good move because it did make it more significant and more pointed um, when it happened. But yeah, I thought, I thought the use of, you know, the Pablo shaking this guy's hand and then walking towards George and, you know, basically without even having to give the cue, the guy just walks up, shoots him in the head. It was, it was about as realistic as you would expect. I mean, you know what I mean? The, a point blank shot like that it's you know there could be like whatever petty things about it that could be changed but i mean ultimately it's it's your standard fair shot in the head movie scene but because we hadn't seen anything like that it was powerful and we got a real sense of you know the the kind of person that pablo escobar was right from that you know what i mean absolutely um yeah, and then like so. spy movies and stuff, gunshots are, they almost feel like lasers. Like they're just kind of like a little pop sound. That was like, you heard the gunshot, but you almost kind of like could hear the bullet like cracking through bone and stuff all instantaneously mm-hmm. at that moment. Like it was a much more realistic gunshot audio wise too mm-hmm. than like if you're watching James Bond shooting 600 bullets, like every one of those bullets should sound the way that the one in Blow did, but like you that would be a horrific movie to actually watch so i feel like that actually they they did that gunshot scene as probably the highlight of the movie for me because it was just so crazy and unexpected in the moment right i mean and and you know we we talked about the fact that it's a roller coaster the whole time it's like on top of the world as low as it gets on top of the world as low as it gets over and over and over again you know but one of the things that really stood out thematically to me was the utter lack of loyalty in this. And that coming from that, that is one of the ways in which George seemed to be very different from a lot of these other guys. He had certain people that he put his trust in, you know what I mean? 
and he stuck to it too. That's a that's a great observation. Like everyone else threw him under the bus immediately, but whenever he was given a chance to like fuck other people over, he was like, "No, that's my partner. Like this is what we're doing." Exactly. I mean, Pablo didn't want Diego to be involved at all. And no, I, I'm confident like, no. he would have died right there if <laughs> if he didn't save him. Right. He was just like, "All right. Well, sorry. I mean, I'm there's no there's no agreement if he's not going to do it with me." He's my partner, you know, and um, that does, it shows a lot of loyalty. And, you know, he also, I mean, he was this guy, even in the very beginning when he was making a ton of money, you know, just with pot, like, you know, Barbie was beautiful and she was wonderful too. I mean, she just seemed like a lovely person and he was very, very happy with her. He could have had a lot of women if he wanted to, but he loved her, you know? Um, and you know, I think that's one of the things that he learned from his dad. I mean, we see the same quality in his dad, right? That it doesn't matter what you've done. I love you. You're always going to be important to me. He wouldn't have fucked over Derek. You know what I mean? It's just, and it's, it's ultimately what led to his downfall is putting his trust in these people people he'd known his whole life you know what i mean like yeah like uh the guy who like betrays him at the end with the beard i forget his name really? he like yeah he seemed like he would have been way tighter with him but uh mm. george went for Derek and was like i know this dude's gay and it's weird during this time period to have a gay person as a friend but he just overlooked all these stigmas that were huge back then and mm-hmm. was like not only am i friends with this guy i'm business partners with him because he's he's got the setup I need and shit. And like, that's a bold move by anybody. Mm-hmm. And then like, if uh Medellin found out that Derek was gay and he was working with them, they both could have been like executed for that back then. So Absolutely. he was, it was a bold move on his part to like put his trust into Derek. And that was probably the most fruitful relationship he had that ended sound like ended poorly at some point, but it lasted a long time that they like had a really fruitful relationship. Yeah. You know, and, and the one thing that I will give Derek though is his, when it came right down to it, you know, he owned up to his shit. You know what I mean? And he told George that he was sorry and he lost track of what was important. Um, you know, it, it, his involvement in the final job has always kind of frustrated me, you know, cause we know the three guys who were talking at the end, they're all like, uh, fuck, I feel bad, but we've already put this into motion. Makes me wonder how much Derek was involved in that. You know I what mean, I mean? Yeah. Cause like he didn't plan for George to call him and like, be like, we need to do right. this. So he had to be the one who came forward and was like, Hey, let's make a deal. So Derek yeah. almost was like the ultimate final betrayal. Right. I mean, he was, he was Judas. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he, I have no doubt that he truly loved George, you know? I mean, it did just, it was business for him all the way. Yeah. man. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing to wrap our heads around, but you know, um, most of us don't operate that way, you know? Yeah. But I guess when it's, you know, um, you or me maybe it does come down to that you know 
Derek didn't want to go to prison. Yeah, and the last time they saw each other, Derek went to prison too because it was his thirty right. eighth birthday. So maybe he right. had some sour feelings about that. But man, this movie is like super like moving. Most biopics are by the end of it, your heart hurts for the characters and stuff. But like this movie has really bad reviews online, and I don't understand why. It's got like a five out of ten. It's such a good fucking movie. I agree. I agree. And I tried to hold off as much as possible from giving that opinion going into this because <laughs> I wanted to talk about it first. But it's it's been one of my favorites for a long time, actually. Um, after I watched it for the first time, I watched it again and I was just like, I absolutely love this. And they're, it's so quotable. You know what I mean? There are points like one of the things that stood out to me the most when they've done the the uh, melting temperature of this cocaine to test the purity yeah. and it's 100, 187 degrees. And they're just like, you know, Derek and George are kind of, you know, self-congratulating, whatever. And then the guy just speaks up out of nowhere and he's like, I can't feel my face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could touch it, but I can't feel it on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's definitely one of the scenes I remember. I remember Pablo Escobar shooting the guy, and I remember the cocaine measuring scene. And those are pretty much it when I think of this movie and Penelope Cruz weighing 80 pounds by the end of it. Those are like the three things I associate with this. But man, right. that scene is funny. <laughs> God, it's, it's just fantastic. But there's um, the other scene that stands out to me is the very, very beginning when we first see George Young. And he's like, um, and I, I, oh God, I'm going to fuck this up. But, you know, he's like, there it is, boys, 100% pure Colombian cocaine disco shit. And I, that's always stood out to me too. Just the ending with disco shit. It was like, dude, I mean, he just comes off as so badass. And then of course, you know, when we get to the end and we realize what actually happens right after that, it's like, well, that sucks, you know. Yeah, his life doesn't go great. Uh, it's, no. it's definitely like a cautionary tale, if ever there oh, was yeah. one. But like the theme of the movie is the highs are highs and the lows are super fucking low. And yes, they uh, are. It's the lows are seem to always be jail for this dude. Just in yeah, and out, in much. and out. Crazy. And you know, it was really sad. I think was you know, the, the ultimate takeaway for him is that he lost his daughter. You know, I mean that in and of itself, like if you were his daughter and he promised on your life that he was going to come and get you and you're going to go to California, you know, I mean, and then he just doesn't show up. It was, it was, you know, so many kids that have gone through just a parent abandoning them or disappearing. But like, it's rarely coupled with somebody who really loves their child. You know what I mean? And in this case, he loved her more than anything in the world. And the whole reason he was doing that last job was so that he could be with her. But how do you understand that as a kid? How do, how does that make anything better? He broke a promise to her, and that was the last time she ever saw him. Yeah, it's it's like I didn't look up and see if she ever visited him, but if she didn't. 
no. Mm, yeah. Mm-mm. I wonder. I mean, I can hope that they found each other and were best friends after, but I'm pretty confident after a relationship like that, it probably didn't. They are not hanging out every Friday night. So. No, she she never went to see him in prison. I mean, and I mean, he was in, in he had a 60 year sentence, so it's not like he was going to be getting out real quick, you know? Yeah. That's that's a tough scene at the end when he sees his daughter and she comes and they mm-hmm. like walk around and then you realize he's hallucinating and just that deeply depressed and sad. Whew. Well, and, you know, the onset of dementia and, you know what I mean? Like, that's all he ever wanted. You know, and, and then you can tell that it's not just him like daydreaming because when he's telling the guard, you know, put her on the list. But my daughter's coming. My daughter's coming. Put her on the list for tomorrow. She's coming. She's not coming, you know, she's never going to come. It's just, I don't know. I mean, broke my heart, but you know, um, it was really, really hard. This (laughs) movie has some, some tough sequences for sure. There's some moments where you're just like, Oh, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not crying. (laughs) You're crying. Um, (laughs) like, like, okay. Another one when Ray Liotta, is sitting there and listening to the tape recording. Oh, yeah. George couldn't get furlough to go and, and be with him while he was dying. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, John Green, um, you know, whoever, like, all those, you know, like, um, tearjerker porn movies, you know, oh, like, yeah. and books and whatever, The Notebook, Eat Your Fucking Heart Out, that <laughs> killed me. <laughs> It's yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Old Ray Liotta was still like compared to now looks like young Ray Liotta, but it Ooh, he he did young. old pretty well. He did old pretty well. I thought so too, and I just I mean, again, his was the most heartbreaking character of all of them to me. You know, if that yeah, was he didn't do anything wrong <laughs> the whole movie, he was completely no. flawless. Oh, God. I mean, and again, just dad goals, you know, I mean, I have a friend who has a father that's very, that was very, very much like that, you know, Um, and uh, it was, it was really powerful when she was telling me about him and she had gotten into a business that she figured would be undesirable. So she never told him about it. And it was at her funeral that she or at his funeral that she found out that he'd known the whole time and he had never expressed anything but pride in her. And, uh, when he was first told about what she was doing, he, uh, he told his wife, um, my friend's stepmother, um, wait, are you telling me she started her own business? And that was his response. That was it. You know, I mean, that's dad goals too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just an amazing thing to see and so sad for him. You know, I mean, what do you even, I don't know. Sad. (laughs) I don't mean to end on a downer. (laughs) No, I mean, so yeah, I, I, I certainly am not complaining about your show because I'm enjoying the shit out of it. The uh, okay. the Malice podcast. But you have a way of telling stories that makes me say like, oh, 
I feel queasy, or I'm not going to cry. This is terrible. This is so sad. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's that's a sign of good art is that it makes me feel emotions. And you are mm. definitely nailing that in your show. So uh, tell you. the audience about it a little bit. You you do true crime, right? That's, that's correct, yes. Um, <clears throat> I specifically do mostly violent offenders. But, um, you know, there's, there's a concept in, in court that involves malice aforethought. And so these are people who are intending to commit crimes, right? Um, you know, there has to be intention, there has to be motivation, but there has to be those things and then the actual commission of a crime um, to prove malice aforethought. So that's like, if you always carry a gun around and then you're at a bar and people start getting, you know, riled up and you end up discharging your weapon, that's not exhibiting malice of forethought. However, if you don't usually carry a gun, but you go over to your ex-husband's house in the middle of the night and shoot him in his bed, you're, you were planning that. That's, that's not your typical run of the mill thing. So uh, basically I come from a background in my master's is in sociology. My doctoral work is in social psychology. Um, and I wanted to pull those elements together because a lot of times people focus on the psychology of criminals. And I feel like there are other components that create violent offenders, you know, whether it's family dysfunction, whether it's, you know, being ostracized by other children or the community, whether it's environmental um, you know what I mean? Like abuse, neglect, early childhood development, brain trauma. There's so many things that weigh in that make people the way they are. You know, there's, it's not a foregone conclusion that any child is going to be born, you know, ready to be a serial killer. It just doesn't happen. And, um, and so I really look through a lens of radical empathy and I want people to see that the only way that we can prevent, intervene, or ultimately rehabilitate if it gets to the point that that needs to happen um, is if we understand these people, these, these, you know, monsters among us, these evil um, entities, we have to realize they're human beings. You know, they're just like you or me. They've just had different circumstances, different ways their brains work and different responses to things. And some of them are very logical responses to very illogical situations. So, um, yeah, anyway, some of them are more, um, I have more compassion for than others, but I always seek to try to put people in their shoes. And I always try to present my tales as much as I possibly can from the victim's perspective so people can see just how hideous it is. Um, and you do a damn good job of that. (laughs) That is, you you. do that so, so well. Like it, I was listening to the one, I think it was called Blackout. Is that the one? Or no, Deliverance. That's the one with the baby, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oofa doofa. That one was tough. That was a tough one to listen to. I was like, I'm going to be hanging out with this person on a podcast soon. I really should double check and make sure what their podcast (laughs) is all about. Seven in the morning at work. And I'm just like, I'm going to faint right now. I need to sit down. (laughs) Yeah, that one was rough. That so was rough. Hard. So, uh, audience, you should you should definitely check into that episode because it's it's intense. <laughs> I mean, some of them are more intense and more graphic than others. But the only time that I really get graphic is when I am trying to when it says something about the the offender's state of mind, 
right? Um, like for instance, I covered Ted Bundy at the very, very beginning of my podcast. And I've since taken down my first like 10 or 12 episodes because I want to redo them now that I have decent sound. Um, but in covering Bundy, I spent one paragraph on his crimes and basically nothing graphic. It was like, okay, so he would, you know, manual strangulation, bludgeoning, whatever. He committed necrophilia. He did, you know, X, Y, Z. It was the same in all of his attacks um, while he was actually serial killing and hadn't turned into a spree killer. So while he was doing that, what more do I need to go into? You know what I mean? Like you don't need the nitty gritty details of that to understand that this is a guy whose brain is warped and his relation to society is completely fucked up. So, you know, however, in the case of deliverance, which you just brought up, this was a mind that is very like the, the actual crime is exceedingly rare. And, um, it's there. I tried to give as much into, you know, the psychology and, and all of that, the way that her motivations behind this as possible, you know, and it unfortunately involved a lot of graphic detail. So, I mean, I listened to the, the black blackout one also, um, Mm -hmm. my brain is drawing a blank on it, but I remember that one was like, Oh, okay. I don't feel quite like I'm going to faint right now, but either way, the way that you execute, like the, you are very, very eloquent. And I think that that lends to it. And I can hear your emotional responses in your voice Mm -hmm. and oh, Mm -hmm. wonderful. You are such a good podcaster. And I hope that someday I can maybe chit chat with you on yours, but not that I'm inviting myself on, but (laughs) I know I'd love to have you sometime for sure. Right on. Um, So the name of this show is The Disc Dump because we are trying to determine if I am going to continue to possess this DVD because I have all these movies and games and stuff in my house and they take up physical space and in a digital world you really don't need any of these discs but you got to keep some of them. So where I'm at right now is I'm holding blow in my hands. What do you Mm -hmm. think? Is this a keeper or a dumper? Keep all the way. I'm thinking so too. Did you watch it on a streaming service? How did you watch it? I did. I watched it on uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's what's funny about this DVD as I'm looking at it is it's one of the first DVDs because it has a menu on it on how to work your DVD player. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like an old disc and it's it it says it has all these special features on it it does not have them on there (laughs) there was scene selection and play movie and help menu those were my three choices it didn't even have subtitles on it yeah so this is like this is an old ass dvd it's in a white box which i find poetic i do enjoy that but yeah at the top (laughs) it says uh that it is a Infinity film DVD go beyond the movie, but there's no special features on it. <laughs> so, very silly, but I agree with you. I think this is a keeper for sure, just for yeah. Paul Rubens alone, let alone Ray Liotta and everybody else. Oh god, awesome. it was so good. And yes. this really, this really was, I think, my favorite, um, my favorite Penelope Cruz movie, my favorite Johnny Depp movie. Um, Paul Rubens is incredible um god just so many good good performances so 
Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a bad moment of this movie. There was no moment in this movie where I'm like, this is so boring and dumb. Like, this is a solid film. I don't understand why it has bad reviews, but okay. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to me, and maybe I'm just the kind of person that's like every filmmaker's dream because I go in and I'm like, as long as I'm entertained, I'm good. Like, <laughs> right. That's the attitude you have to have with a lot of movies. Like, even if it's a very poorly done movie, if you find joy in it, it's a good movie. So. Right. So I want to say thank you to the Jazz Tune for the use of the song Viva La Speed Metal off of the album The Medicine. We play that at the beginning of every episode. It is some really fun rock and roll music. You guys should definitely buy the CD or find some other way to support them. I know they're on Bandcamp. They really deserve it because they're a super solid band. Not enough people know about them, but they are fantastic. I also want to thank the Fat Rat for the song Unity, which we use to bring us in and out of the ad spots and end every episode. Uh, If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me, discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little PP in there. It's important. On Twitter, I'm at the discdump. On Instagram, discdumppodcast. Again, the PP. On Facebook, it's at the disc dump podcast and there's a little group on there the disc dump podcast fans and that's where i post a lot of memes that relate to the show or the movie and there's people have conversations about the show in there it's a good time so definitely check me out on all of the major platforms how can they get a hold of you ariel Oh, um, I'm everywhere like a bad rash. So (laughs) if you, any podcast um, player that you want to listen on, even ones that I've not heard of, um, I'm on all of them. You just need to search Malice. If you can't find it that way, you can look up Ariel Cooksey, which is uh, my first and last name. You'll find my channel. That's what you have to do on Spotify. So that's A-R-I-E-L, just like the mermaid, Cook, and then S-E-Y. Um, easier things to do. You can go to patreon.com slash malice pod. If you'd like to support my show, um, you get two bonus episodes a month, um, at various other tiers, you get, um, a ton of extra stuff. I'm, I'm all about my patrons. And, uh, let's see if you want to find me on social, on Facebook, there's a page and a group, just search malice podcast. On Twitter, it's at Malice Podcast. On Instagram, at Malice Pod. Um, I'm not on TikTok, but I'm going to have my nine-year-old teach me how to do it real <laughs> soon. <laughs> so you can look forward to that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. You can also email me uh, at MalicePod at gmail.com. I'm always really interested to hear from my listeners. I love engaging with them pretty much every listener who's reached out I've ended up becoming like real life friends with. So um, I really, really appreciate everybody who listens, encourages and uh, gives me feedback. So. Yes. And I I can't stress enough that you are an excellent podcast. Like your show is so good and so well-made and I think it's fantastic. Yes. So uh, you've had some time to think about it. What are you going to recommend to the audience you think? Okay. Okay. So I have been thinking about this. Um, I've got uh, a couple things, if that's okay. Um, One of my favorite things to watch is a Netflix miniseries. And I'm not the kind of person, just so you know, I'm not the kind of person who rewatches or rereads things. Like, I kind of feel like there's so much to watch and read. Like, I need to move on to the next thing to really get those experiences. This is one that I watched for the first time. 
uh, beginning of last year, I think, or the year before. Time is just lost all meaning at this point. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a six part series on Netflix, and it's based on my favorite book, which is Alias Grace, and that's by Margaret Atwood. And Margaret Atwood actually was assisting the director um, on the on the film. Um, the costume design is amazing. The filming is amazing. And it's as close to the book as you could possibly get for being the type of writing it is because it goes in and out of the main character. You're getting her voice through this, but through some of it, it's her thoughts. And then some of it is her speaking. And then some of it is almost like the, you know, um, third, third party omniscient kind of thing. Like she knows other people's thoughts and stuff in these certain ways. It's, it's, really really intriguing and it's based on a true crime case um back in the uh, 19th century uh, the early 19th century um in which an irish canadian uh girl she immigrated with her family from I- from ireland she took a job as do- a domestic worker ended up moving to um a job as another domestic worker and was tried and convicted of murdering another domestic worker and her employer and was um, supposed to hang for it, but ended up having that um, commuted to life in prison at Kingston prison in Canada. And it's interesting because there's so much information and so much news and so many documents about this case and none of them take into account her voice, none of them. And so Margaret Atwood basically went in and tried to, create this um voice for her and you don't really know what to think um i'm gonna let everybody make up their own minds about this but one of the things that is really interesting is when she was trying to escape she was apprehended on a boat and she was using the alias mary whit yeah mary whitney and figuring out who mary whitney is is part of the most mysterious part of this whole thing. It is just fascinating and incredibly well done. Um, also, what was that called I'm, again? I'm, mm-hmm. What was that one called again? Alias Grace. Alias Grace. That sounds super interesting. I'm going to check that out tonight. It's insanely good. And I, again, like I watch it for the first time and within the next two months, I'd recommended it to everyone I know. And I had watched the whole six hour series or six part series seven times. Holy so Moses. it's that good right from on. where I'm Yeah. So get ready to be addicted anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm also, I just interviewed uh, Sandra London, who is a very controversial, but very acclaimed and very well-known true crime writer. Um, and she has a new book out that's called uh, the making of a serial killer. It's her second edition of the book. And it's by Danny Rowling, uh, as told to Sandra London. And Danny Rowling, for anyone who doesn't know, was the Gainesville River. And oh. so she got to know him personally. But that's not all. She also has a book um, that she titled Killer Fiction that she wrote a long while back. And that's about Gerard Schaefer, who was uh, a police officer who kidnapped, tortured, 
did other things. This is not a true crime show, so I'm just going to leave out the details. One of the top 10 worst, I'd say, of all time. And uh, she was his high school sweetheart. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So she's got quite the insights. Um, And so Killer Fiction is a compilation of both her insights into him and also really disturbing stories that he wrote while in prison um, that he called fiction, but basically they were able to connect to actual missing and murdered women. So it's a hard read, but I mean, in both cases, hard reads, but very, very good. So you want real insight? I mean, she was sitting there with them, you know, for years. So that's wild. That's mm-hmm. crazy. I'm definitely going to, yeah. when, when that episode drops, I'll be there listening to it. <laughs> oh, oh, it actually, it dropped on Wednesday. There are two parts. Well, so this past go. Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So it's when, up this, in... when this comes out, it will have been two weeks ago, I believe. Okay. So it, it came out November 18th. So um, yeah, go check it out. It's, but definitely check out her books too. Cause whoa. Yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. We have to do something else soon because this was too much fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you've got the list. Let me know what you want to do next. <laughs> Hell yes. I'm on it. Awesome. Well, audience, uh, have a good week. Until next week, toodles. <laughs>